You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. Wouldn't it be great to shop online without worrying about the way something fits or if you got the right size? If you haven't heard of Smithery Style yet, you're going to want to. They're an online shop who has made many appearances at Mom Halo events in the past. They not only sell gorgeous pieces that they like to refer to as elevated basics, but their mission is to have women across the country feel confident in their day-to-day from the moment you step in front of your closet to get dressed in the morning. How do they do that? By helping you figure out your body shape, giving style tips for those shapes, figuring out your wow colors, modeling the clothes on real women, and curating collections each season of the best pieces for all different body shapes. Watch their daily try-ons over at Instagram, Smithery Style, or head to their website to figure out your shape now. Over the years that Sabrina has been teaching sex education, she noticed that the adults in the room had just as many questions as the kids. With topics ranging from safe sex to consent and pregnancy, Sabrina observed consistently that adults knew very little about their own bodies and about sex. That is when After Sex Ed was born. After Sex Ed is a place where adults can converse in a mature and welcoming way about sex. Sabrina has created a fun, dynamic, and sex-positive forum for discussions on her After Sex Ed podcast. After Sex Ed also offers intimacy and sex tips on Instagram and TikTok, full asynchronous course for adults on topics ranging from intimacy to how to manage mismatched sex drives to exploring kink and porn literacy. After Sex Ed also has fun, sex-positive merchandise to show your support for sex education and sex positivity. Sabrina also provides one-on-one sex coaching as well as couples coaching. Follow After Sex Ed on Instagram, learn with Sabrina on TikTok, and follow the After Sex Ed podcast on Spotify, Apple, and all the places that you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Mom Halo podcast. I'm your host, Alana Kapitz, and I have Sabrina Baldini in studio today. Hi. <laughs> Sabrina, I'm super excited to have you. This is going to be a spice conversation. I'm super excited. Uh, Sabrina, tell everyone what you do and where you're from and who you are. Go for it. So my name is Sabrina. Um, I am a sex coach. I am a practicing sex coach now. So um, for about, this is a somewhat of a career pivot, although not really. So for about the last 10 odd years, I have taught sex education to kids on and off in varying capacities. I've gone to schools and taught. I've volunteered at crisis centers and did consent workshops at different campuses. I've taught sex education in the developing world in Nairobi and Kenya. So I've always been involved in sex education. And then um, as long as I've been teaching sex ed to kids, I always found that the adults in the room and the grownups in the room always had just as many questions as the kids did. They pulled me aside a lot, especially about consent and intimacy and safe sex. Like, nothing was off limits. And then I thought, okay, you know, it's not just kids that have questions. We have to stop assuming that adults know anything about sex and that they have a proper sex education. 
So anyway, so then I took a bunch of, uh, I've taken a many sex therapy courses and I just completed a graduate degree in sexual health and rehabilitative medicine. So now I am a sex coach live in working in Toronto and that's where mm-hmm. I'm at right now. And Ooh. it's great. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So, so when people are calling you right now, what's their chief complaint? Why are they calling you? Oh my God. How much time do you have? They, there's all different kinds of stuff. It depends. Um, <laughs> So I would, I'm going to preface this by saying that most of my clients are men, which actually kind of surprised me when I got into it. I thought I would get a big, um, following of women. Um, what I talk about a lot is like leaning into pleasure and understanding sex positivity and being okay, understanding your body and, and a lot of that, but a lot of men are actually biting. So I'd say the primary concern that I'm getting a lot is, um, that I deal with really on the regular is intimacy issues and performance anxiety. And I have a lot of couples that I work with and probably in and around the same intimacy issues and poor communication and, and sex drive mismatches. I'd say somebody's high drive. So somebody's HD and somebody's low drive, somebody's LD. And then they're like, like battling. Okay. So walk us through each one of those. Let's go through oh, Lord. intimacy <laughs> mismatches. Let's talk about high drive and low drive, what that even means. Let's talk yeah. about communication issues um, and performance issues. Like what, run us through. You just set the agenda. Go for it. Oh God. I mean, I, there, there, I wouldn't even know where to, there's so much. Like I would say if you have um, like a couple that comes in and somebody's HD and somebody's LD. So that's the language I'll use high drive and low drive or, or LL is low libido. HL is high libido. Let's whatever. Anyways, let's say you have that. You have this like tension between the two of them. Um, oftentimes the tension is just exacerbated because they don't know how to talk to each other and they don't have the language. They don't really understand anything. So one of the first questions you would really ask a couple when they come in, if they're like, we're not, let's say they're like, we're not doing it anymore which is a big one. They're like, we just like don't anymore, blah, blah, blah. You would ask them, was there a time in your life when the two of you were together where you were doing it? And was there a time in your life where your sex life was great? And if so, tell me about that. Like, were you spending a lot of time together? Were you spending time apart? Were you working a lot? Were you tired? Did you have energy? Stuff like that. Um, you want to kind of get a snapshot into what their like relationship looks like. And, oh my God, I'm going to tell you so many things. So (laughs) what you'd really want to know is like, I guess what your listeners might want to know for their own knowledge, because I think anybody can understand this, is that there's basically two different kinds of relationship styles. There's attachment theory, and then there's differentiation of self. So attachment theory is like the couple spends a lot of time together. There are no secrets. Everything is shared. Um, Non-sexual activities are, are all done together. And that's called fusing. So the couple likes to fuse and then differentiation of self is that the couple spends time separately. They have separate social lives, different social circles, Uh, non-sexual activities are not all done together and that's called building tension. So if a couple is out of sync, one of the first things you would kind of want to understand is how do they like vibe? Are they more attachment style or or style or are they more differentiation of self? Because the problem really often is that I think people have a snapshot of what a successful relationship or marriage looks like in their head. And usually it's that people get together and that they fall in love and that you want to be together all the time and you don't want to be with anybody else and you don't think about anybody else. And that's not the reality for a lot of couples. It's not the reality for a lot of people. 
the real reality is that some couples really like to do that and some are more differentiators and they need to actually spend time away from each other to feel closer, to build tension, to like miss each other. Um, so that's just a part of it. <laughs> wow. I've never heard any of these terminologies before ever. So yeah. this is education for me. So I would assume most of our listeners are probably falling in the category of paired off, partnered, um, yeah. some, some spousal ship or shared household, or maybe the, honestly, at the end of like ending of marriages as a result, maybe of like yeah. lack of chemistry, but yeah. walk us through, I mean, we've had relationship coaches. We've never had sex coaches. So what is it about sex coaching, fusing? Why does this matter? Boy. And, yeah. <laughs> why does communication style and those things, like whether or not they're fused or yeah, not? Yeah. 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 The bedroom go. Um, because <laughs> sex is rarely just about sex. It's usually about a bunch of other stuff that's going on in your life and going on in your head. And sex isn't just happening inside the bedroom. It's happening outside of it. So, um, understanding what your relationship style is like, understanding whether or not it's that you need to fuse, whether or not you're attachers, let's say, or differentiators is, um, how you kind of set your communication style. It's really just giving people the language to be like, okay, like let's let's say as an example, and this has happened before, where you're just like trying to get a sense of somebody's a couple's style, like what their what you know if their attachment, if their differentiation of self, and you've got one attacher and you've got one differentiator in the same relationship. It's really just giving them the language to be like, you know, if you if you identify as somebody who differentiates, like you need to be away from your partner to like build tension and miss them and then want them more, you have to like say it in a certain way. So as an example, like, honey, I, you know, in order to feel closer to you, I need to be away from you. It may sound counterintuitive, but it's, that's the truth. And that when I'm with you, I'm with you. So somebody that has more of an attachment style, it's non-sexual activities are done together. So when I'm with you, I'm with you and I will do whatever it is that you want to do to feel closer to me. And when we do this, when we're together, the couple has to make a commitment that sex is off the table. So whatever date night you want to do, whatever you want to, whatever you want to have, whatever happens where you want to like fuse and be closer. Um, and like, kind of get back on track. Sometimes you have to set a really clear boundary and say, you know, we're fighting about sex a lot. There's a lot of pressure. Usually one person is trying to initiate more than the other. It happens a lot. That's called the pursuer avoider dynamic. And the other person's like, ugh. And then um, it builds a lot of tension and not in a good way, puts a lot of pressure on the couple that every time they're out or have to do something, it has to lead to sex. So then it's about setting a clear boundary when we're going to have a non-sexual date, let's say, like where non-sexual activities are done together and I want to be closer to you. I have to make, you know, we have to make a promise, the both of us, that sex is off the table. This way, if a clear boundary is set, we're not going to have sex tonight, then take that off the table. And now what are you going to do? Whatever it is that you choose to do, you don't have to worry so much. You can take a lot of pressure off of both of you and just be like, ah, now we can relax. Which probably sounds yeah. counterintuitive. Like, oh my God, if people are like out of sync and not having sex, wouldn't you want them to do Wouldn't you just throw sex at them? But no, that's not the case. Sometimes you have to be like, you have to, you have to take sex off the table to be able to think clearly because now sex is supposed to be a place where you're having fun. And now you're talking about it like it's work, like it's a job and like it's a chore and it's stressing you out. And if it's stressing you out like that and you're fighting about it, then just make a commitment to be like, okay, like we're not going to have sex right now. 
Like we're going to go on a date and we're not going to do that, but maybe we can just kiss or maybe we can do something else, but we won't, we won't do that. I love that so much. My son is playing with the sound machine inspector <laughs> right now, and it just did a big scream. So yeah. I would say like in our community or what I've heard people talk about and in my personal experience too, like, you know, people meet, they're like hot and heavy. They have yeah. kids yeah. And, and things change. And then sort of, you know, there's a unicorn where, you know, once in a while, some of my friends are like, oh my God, my husband wants to have sex five times a day. And I just like, can't do it. And they're like doing it at least once a day. I have some other friends who are like, oh yeah, we have sex every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for 10 yeah. years. Like, that's our yeah. thing. I have other friends who are like, we have sex once every six months <laughs> on vacation, you know? So yeah. that's, or, or, you know, there's really no, um, I've heard not, no one really talk about like healthy, a healthy sex life. So what does a healthy sex life look like in a partnership? It's, I mean, it's different for everybody. Firstly, like, you know, some of the things that I would ask couples to do, like I have a worksheet, I have an intake and I have a worksheet actually that, you know, is for free on my website. Uh, so that couples can ask each other these questions, but I would want I would want that couple to just define what sex is before they start defining what a healthy sex life lo- looks like. Like, what is sex? Is it you know a penis goes into a vagina? That's very heterosexual. It's very heteronormative too. Like, not all my clients are heterosexual, but different people have different definitions of what sex is. Is sex about fun? You know, is it a pleasure based activity? And if sex is a pleasure-based activity where people have fun, like there are multiple ways that you can have fun. There are multiple ways that you can have sex once you actually redefine what sex looks like. I'd say like most of my couples, yeah, like most of my clients are heterosexual. So there is a lot of, um, I want to say like a really rigid definition of what sex is. And that's where a lot of the work is involved. Like Think about it this way. Like if, you know, when people define sex as like penis vagina, let's say, which is not uncommon. That's like the number one answer I get from straight couples is all sex is like a penis goes to a vagina. That's it. If sex is about feeling good and sex is about pleasure and sex is about having fun, then you would have to ask, you know, the woman in that partnership, like, how do you have orgasms? You know, is it through penetrative sex or is it through clitoral stimulation? Some women are able to have orgasms through penetrative sex. We know this. It's about 15 to 20% can. But all women and people that have a vulva can have an orgasm through clitoral stimulation. That said, if sex is about pleasure and having fun, then the counter to a penis is not a vagina. The counter to a penis is a clitoris. When you reframe sex like that, when people are like, oh, okay, so it's actually, it doesn't have to be all like in and out, like intercourse penetrated. It can be other things. That's what I'd say, like, where all the healthy communication starts, you know? It's not necessarily like penis clitoris talk, but it's like, what kinds of things do you like? What kinds of things would you like to do that would make you feel good and have fun? And it doesn't always have to be one way. And intercourse, like penis vagina, I'll just say, or P and V, I'll say, um, doesn't have to be the end game always, you know? It doesn't have to be that way. Once it's reframed, really, like, oh, okay, we can just like do things and have fun and, and it doesn't have to result in that. That's when I'd say healthy sex starts. And you have to redefine sex entirely first though. Wow. Okay. So that's a lesson for me because I would also say in my yeah. heteronormative marriage that like yeah. penis and vagina is sex. Yeah. And for us, I mean, or I'm just be very open because I'm, I am on this podcast. Like we, my husband and I both love sex. We both enjoy it. And yeah, we went through phases in our marriage where we were like having quite regular sex, and then phases when we're not. 
Yeah. And it's so funny because when we are, it's literally just like everything, the stars are completely aligned, right? Yeah. <laughs> get intimate. And those moments are so few and far between. Okay, I'm going to give you a bagel. I'm giving you a bagel. Okay. So tell me about the stars aligning, all the factors. Like how do people address, get to that point where they need to like get down and everything needs to be... Um, you're you're kind of describing um, anticipatory sex. Okay, so even to okay, I, sometimes I run the risk of getting like too academic. Basically, this is what people uh, really need to to know and understand about themselves that um, desire and drive are two different things. So desire is uh, like people will be like, I have no desire to have sex whatsoever. I have no drive. Oh my god, everything's falling apart. Um, Desire and drive are two different things. So desire is like, do you think about sex? Do you fantasize? Do you masturbate? Do you watch porn? Stuff like that. That's desire. Drive is like the motivation to do it. Like, are so are you doing it? And it's not uncommon that some couples will be like, well, I have desire. I think about it. I fantasize from time to time, but I have no drive. So that just means you're tired. That's it. So I wonder if you've ever heard the gas and brake analogy, but Sex drive, think about about think about it like gas and brake, okay? So if your sex drive is waning, you're driving in your little sex car, okay? You're driving, you're like, maybe I already love this analogy. Okay, go. And you're like, I don't feel like having sex. Lately, I haven't been going very fast in this car. So I think a lot of people just throw the gas on. They're just like, okay, I'm going to throw sex. I'm going to, you know, my partner and I need to start watching porn together. We need to read erotica. We need to, I need to dress sexier, like, that he needs to, whatever, I don't know, chop wood in front of me. I have no idea. We need to like ramp up sex. But sometimes it's not gas, it's break. You have to figure out what's putting your break on. Especially if you're the kind of person that's like, sex crosses my mind. I do think about it. I like to have it. I just like, I have no time for it. So what's putting the break on? That's it. And you're like stars aligning, like figure out what keeps putting the break on. And then, you know, make peace with the idea too that sometimes that, Sex isn't always going to be spontaneous. And that's a really, I think, difficult pill for a lot of people to swallow. Um, There are basically two human sexual response models, basically, for your sex drive. The first is spontaneous. And that's linear. If you were to look at it on paper, it's a line. So it's like arousal, intercourse, orgasm, refractory. I think you probably have seen it, like you orgasm, then it kind of dips after refractories when you're like, oh, and you're like tired. So that's how it is. And then the other cycle is responsive, which is works in a circle. So basically there's all different kinds of, there's all different kinds of factors that are getting you aroused. Basically that's what that looks like. Um, Somebody with a responsive drive, basically, they're not, it's unlikely. They're not, they're not the kind of person that's rah, rah, rah all the time. Uh, I think if you've ever, cause I'm not married to this idea that everybody is one way or the other. I think that you are probably predominantly one way. You could be mostly spontaneous, like spontaneous, physical. You see something you like, you see your husband or your wife or your partner and they look good. And you're like, okay, I'm horny. Let's do this. That's spontaneous. Responsive is like, you have to be more in the mood for it. Um, and I think that if you've ever said, like, I could get there, like, let's say your, your partner is really into it and you're like, I'm not there yet, but I could get there. Give me a minute. You're probably more responsive. Um, and for responsive for people with responsive cycles, sex is really happening outside of the room a lot. So think about what it would take for you 
to get in the mood outside of the bedroom. Like, do you need to be rested? Do you need to not worry about like chores and stuff like that? Uh, do you need to have energy? Do you need to be flirted with? Do you need some tension? Would you like a sex? Would you like a sext? Would you like your partner to text you something dirty? Like, would you like stuff like that? It, if you understand the two models and if you understand responsive drive, especially if you identify as a responsive drive kind of person, then now hopefully you have the language to be like, oh, okay, I'm more of like a cerebral kind of person that needs a little outside stimulation for me to get like, you know, in the bedroom stimulation. And what does the perfect when the stars align, what does that look like for me? Like, what does that look like for me? You're the only one that can answer that. Sometimes it's as simple as like, I need the house clean. So then you guys have to make the effort to like have your house clean. You know, sometimes it's as simple as like, I need you to, um, I don't know, send send me a sext when I'm at work. You know, okay. Love it. <laughs> I love the sexting. Sexting is awesome. Sexting is really fun. And I don't think it necessarily has to be pictures. I think that if you're the kind of person that I have, I had a client that would, was saying that, um, you know, like her, her whole life, she's been taught that sex is like shameful and dirty and is feels very weird about talking about it, but has a, you know, had a partner that was very, um, was always really encouraging her to be more sexual and, Basically, her entire adult life, she was like, oh, you know, I keep reading these things that tell me I should tell him what I want and I should say to him, this is what I want, but it's so embarrassing. And I would like rather die than look him in the face and be like, I want this. And I was like, and you can't write it. Like you can't, you can put it in a note, you can send it in a text and you can make him promise to only open that text when he's very far away from you so that you don't have to look him in the eye. That's okay. You know, or you can send him a picture of yourself, or you can send him a picture of whatever something you saw in a movie. Maybe you send him a gif, like a dirty <laughs> gif. That's great. It doesn't have to be you, you know. If you can't say it or do it, you can find other people that do that really well and send your communication out that way. I love that so much. So, so chief complaints are. Uh, lack of performance. You're talking about performance anxiety. What does that look like for men? Gentlemen? Men? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, like um, performance anxiety. Like they're getting, they're stuck in their heads too much. They're really concerned about their partner having fun. Basically, that they are not having fun themselves, so they can, you know, overthink and lose their erection. That's erectile dysfunction. But like has to be happening consistently enough to be diagnosed with erectile dysfunction. If you're a man and you're listening, or if you're a woman and you're, you are partnered with a man and he loses his erection from time to time, that does not mean he has erectile dysfunction. You're not a robot. Men are not robots. It's going to happen every so often. Um, premature ejaculation and delayed ejaculation are, are pretty major issues that, that men are facing, especially with performance anxiety. Um, and because I'm a sex coach, which means I'm not a doctor, so I don't diagnose dysfunctions and I don't prescribe medication or anything like that. Uh, sex coaches basically set goals and we work towards goals together. So if you're like, I want to be able to have sex for 10 minutes, penetrative sex for 10 minutes and not worry so much, or I want to be more confident sexually, like you set those as your goals and then I give exercises. Um, 
and again, because I don't prescribe medication or anything like that, it would really be a lot of it is like, like, I don't know how detailed you want. Like some of it's cognitive behavioral therapy. Some of it's like masturbation mindfulness, you know, but in order to like. What's masturbation mindfulness? And now a word from our mom, Halo podcast sponsor. Who needs superheroes when we have moms? Leanne Kim is my go-to resource when it comes to anything starting or growing a successful side hustle or business. She was my business coach for years and has helped tons of the moms in my community build profitable businesses. Leanne knows marketing and sales so well, and she's helping women just like you change their world with their products and services. Leanne has a program starting as low as $59 a month, which makes her the best investment for new business owners looking to take their dream to the next level. Masturbation mindfulness is basically, um, okay, it's when you masturbate and you like actually think about what you're feeling, (laughs) basically. So there is a theory with masturbation particularly male masturbation which is like really popular in the sex therapy community that men uh, and people with penises are basically taught although no one's like teaching them anything because no one's teaching us anything at all but basically for lack of a better word men are taught to uh rush through masturbation as quickly as possible so like to get to the destination as fast as they can um and they're not viewing masturbation as like an exploratory exercise It's more like get to the goal as quickly as possible and rush through so that you don't get caught and it could be steeped in shame. So you're like, oh, like you're like, it's just not, it's just not, yeah, a a relaxing exploratory exercise. The second part of that theory is that if men are learning to masturbate like that, then that might be how they're having sex too. So that's the kind of stuff that you would talk with men about that are like suffering from performance anxiety. So like when you masturbate, are you doing this so quickly? And rushing to get to the destination as quickly as possible. Like, are you, and are you really genital centric? So on the flip side of that coin for women and people with vulvas, like there is a theory that our masturbation techniques tend to be much more exploratory. Um, And I, I mean, there's debate. There's like debate over our women's masturbatory techniques. So exploratory in nature, because we're doing this naturally or because most women don't even know what a clitoris is. So female sexuality and female pleasure is just so steeped in secrecy that we're kind of like exploring everywhere. Um, And women tend to like touch all different parts, parts of their body when they masturbate and they tend to take a lot longer and not because it's more difficult, but it just so happens. And this is not a catch all, not like all women are like this, but that we tend to view it a little bit more as an exploratory relaxation kind of exercise okay so that's that so masturbation mindfulness just to give you some context in that regard is to like basically tell men to slow down so if you are having performance issues with a partner the best way to figure out how to perform better and i'm saying perform in air quotes because it shouldn't be a performance is to like perform with yourself so that you understand your own body better so like what is your mind doing what is your body doing what are you feeling how do you start behaving those are all practices to like help you to not be so genital centric. Think about your penis the entire time and kind of just enjoy sex, not as a goal, 
oriented activity where everybody has to get to the destination as quickly as possible, but more as just an experience, a learning experience. So that's kind of a snapshot of what masturbation mindfulness, you would basically get homework that says, you know, uh, find a place, lots of quiet, get a journal, start masturbating, try not, don't try not to use porn, you know, just use your mind, use your imagination. Now, what are you thinking about? Like, you know, what's the person doing in the fantasy? What are you doing in the fantasy? What is your mind doing? What is your body doing? What's your heart doing? You know, what do you feel? And then so that they can establish, they can get a better handle on what they, what it feels like when they're aroused. So they don't go from zero to a hundred really quickly. It's a long answer. Unbelievable. Um, I'm super interested in this entire arena. I feel like you have your own podcast, right? Savannah? I do. It's okay. I, it's on a little break for a while, but I'm resurrecting it shortly. Okay. No, because I think there's topics are in itself are each so expansive, right? Like yeah. it's such an unbelievable um, subject matter and <laughs> much you are an expert. Um, yeah. So let's talk about parenting and, and kiddos. Cause we have a lot of parents who are first time parents, second time parents, but they're like quite early in their parenthood journey. Talk to yeah. me about those two, three, five years of parenting. And how sex is involved in that. I think every parent needs to hear this. I'm a parent too. That's how we like know each other and stuff. Um, I'm a parent too. I think everybody needs to hear this. this is one of the first things I learned in one of my sex therapy classes about postpartum sexuality. First of all, postpartum sexuality is not nearly as researched and studied and analyzed as it needs to be. It is um, shamefully underrepresented. So like a lot of like what in in sex research. So a lot of what we talk about, like if you're in this new space as a new parent, like you're, a lot of it is uncharted waters, unfortunately, because we don't study this nearly enough. And just for your own knowledge, like sex research, um, basically sex research is done normally with young people. So like universities and stuff will do, will do a call out for like whatever sex research, like we're going to, we're going to analyze breathing patterns and whatever males or something. And they do it at university. So usually only young people respond. And if it's a couple, it's usually young people, young couples responding again, who have not been together very long. So adult sexuality is just not explored very much. Okay. Postpartum sexuality, same goes double. Um, and if you, you know, are a woman who's given birth and you're anything like me, I was told that, uh, I could have sex after six weeks. And what we know in sex therapy is that most couples do not get there, like back to their old selves, wanting sex the same way, feeling like themselves again until roughly four years. So if the first four years are a struggle for you and you're tired and you're not in like, give yourself a break. That is how most couples are. And then again, a lot of this has to do with like re-examining what sex is for you and what intimacy is for you. And are sex and intimacy the same thing? Because they're not. They're two completely different things. So I think I think parents too, again, like the desire and the drive, those are two different things. Always keep that in mind that if you have desire, but you don't have drive, you're tired. Like try to figure out ways to like get yourself a little less tired. and plan a date night. Like it is the best thing that you can do. And it is totally okay to say, we're going to have a date night. I don't want to put a pressure, a ton of pressure on both of us. Like we have to have sex on this date night. We can just like make a commitment beforehand to be like, sex is off the table or today we only kiss. 
You know what a big thing is too that I think parents should really hear? You know how you do skin to skin with your baby when the baby's born? Skin to skin with grownups is like coming up a lot in discussion. A lot. And like, are you doing that with your partner? It's a great way to feel closer to somebody. It doesn't have to be sexual, but it's a good way to connect with somebody. Anyways, there's a lot there. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, non-sexual date nights, I think, are interesting. But what I really heard, the bell went off for me like four years. Like, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, yeah. um, whatever your identity is, like four years post pardon of your last child to get some semblance of your sex life back feels like a really good, like that's a quotable quote for me. That's a tweetable right there. Like that's what yeah. I would tweet, right? Like give yeah. yourself some grace, man. You know, give yourself some grace, relax just because you are, this is, this is where there is a massive miss in women's sexual health, postpartum sexuality, and even men's too. I mean, like, are you rah, rah, rah all the time as a new dad? Are you tired? So I think it is really, it has done nothing but cause a lot of grief for women, especially to be told by doctors that, you know, six weeks after you give birth, you can have sex. And then in your mind, you're like, okay, so I should just be having sex at six weeks. When the reality is like, no, you don't have, you might not be thinking about that at all. If you have kids, you know, that six weeks is like, you're like in the, you're like in the eye of the storm six weeks postpartum, you know? Um, and that there are other ways and better ways and creative ways to feel close to your partner that don't have anything to do with penetrative sex. This is where the straights, like we're all, we have sex all wrong. Like we've really, we've done ourselves a big disservice by focusing primarily on that. And if you have any male listeners or women or people that are partnered with men, I'm going to say this too, men, if like your definition of sex and your definition of sex is penis vagina, um, you are expecting men or people with penises to rely on the most unreliable body part for performance. Their hands are more reliable. Their mouths are more reliable. This is how performance anxiety starts. It's like so much pressure is put on that one organ and some, and it's fickle. It's just not, it's just not as reliable. So then don't rely on it as much. Take up, take some pressure off of him and then have sex different ways. It's reframing. Oh, it's interesting to say that because I know some couples, their partner doesn't know how or doesn't know or won't perform other ways. Hmm. Like how do you have that conversation? I would want to know why. We don't want to make, we don't want to force anybody to like do anything they don't want to do. Um, but I would want to know why, you know what I mean? I would want to know if it's like, um, what's the issue behind that? Um, is there any shame? Is there any like, is it performance? Do you think you're not going to do a good job? Um, and if it's like, sometimes it's as simple as that. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really like it. I don't really know. Then you can talk about sex and go, okay, well, I like, can we try, can we try it this way? Can we try it that way? Like, there's all different kinds of methods, different ways that you can enjoy that, you know? And if you, then if you don't want to do that, what do you want to do? It's the same, it's the same thing as setting a boundary. Okay. Take that off the table for now. I'm not going to pressure you to do that. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but what do you want to do? Do you like, you know, manual stimulation? Uh, do you like dry humping? There's like, you know, what's really surprising too, is that like if somebody were to say penetration, like penetrative sex, you would think like one thing, but there's actually like 12 different ways to penetrate. So like there's all, well, yeah, 
12. Okay, what, are, what are 12 ways of entertaining? I can't remember them all, but there's okay, like- Give me five. Give me five. Shallowing, which is like, does it go in all the way? So you know, like nerve endings are really on the outside. The out, oh my God. It's not deep inside the vagina. It's usually in the outer. Can't find my words. The entrance of the vagina is where a lot of the nerve endings are. So like that's shallowing. It doesn't go in all the way. Uh, rocking, pairing. So you're just like in, like penis and vagina, and you're just rocking. Um, oh my God. If you want to hold on, I can pull up my list. No, it's okay. I just, I wasn't sure what you meant by all yeah, the techniques. That's what I mean. Techniques. It's just different techniques. You know what I mean? That people are like, well, it has to be what it doesn't have to be. You know, there's all different kinds. I almost want to pull up my list though, so that you know. Well, it. I also know that some couples and people I've spoken to, like when they do have sex, like they can only come in one way. Yeah. Like they only had to come in one position or in one way. Yeah. I don't know how to, so how do you like coach someone to like explore different oh. positions or different methodologies to achieve? Like that's okay. Like that's okay. If you can only like, if you can only have an orgasm one way, lots of people, I'd say for women and people with vulvas, like on top is a very popular one. Um, or just like clitoral stimulation of any time of any kind is going to be the thing that allows you to to have an orgasm. Even if you're having penetrative sex, by the way, and you're able to have an orgasm that way, or you know people that can have an orgasm that way, it really is the clitoris that's reacting. Um, and people talk about G-spot orgasms a lot too. And in the sexual health community, we don't call it that anymore. It's called a clitoral urethra valve zone. So it really just is connected. It's all, it's all clitoris. It's all clitoris. So the clitoris is your friend. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And if you were only able to like come in one position, can you still enjoy sex? If you're not like, you know, if, if orgasm isn't the destination, it's really about focusing more on the journey and not like the goal right away. So, I mean, you can still. I think enjoy sex and be close to your partner and get a lot of gratification from intimacy. It still feels good. Even if, even if you know, you're not going to have an orgasm that way, you can have an orgasm after like, this is the other thing too, is that I think the heteros, like the straights, we've really screwed ourselves up. And most couples will be like, you're supposed to be like coming together. Like it, that's what's supposed to happen. But like, it just doesn't, that's like really difficult to time it like that. And if you can time it like that, that's super great. But people taking turns having orgasms is like a-okay. That's okay. The only thing that matters is like, we say this all the time, like let pleasure lead. Like if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it, you know? Um, <clears throat> and if it's hurting you, don't do it. Pain is like not your friend. If that's not what you're into, don't do that then. So if some positions feel better than others and you know you can come in one position, okay, that position is your best friend, but you can still be friends with the other ones too. If you enjoy them, if it feels good, like if you are still like having a good time with your partner, you don't have to like come at the same time. It doesn't need to be like that, you know? And also, because I was talking about the clitoris so much, if you have stimulation on the clitoris, it's a pretty good chance you're going to have a good time. So whatever that looks like for you, your hands or a sex toy, sex toys can be your friend. They're not your foe. They're your friend. <laughs> Men do not have to compete with them. People do not have to compete with vibrators. You're on, like you're on the same team. That's when everyone wins. Yeah, and for me, like the dialogue, I'm like eating grapes while I talk about this because I'm so interested. I feel like I'm watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> for me, what's so interesting is like 
I find as women get more mature, they kind of need different stimulation than maybe like yeah. their their teenage orgasm or their early 20s orgasm, not the same, their postpartum orgasm. And you might need a little help, right? And what I came to learn is in my like, this is also like maybe in my late 30s, literally my late 30s, that like for me on a personal note, my entire vulva is very sensitive. Like it's not just yeah. my clitoris. So yeah. I can like get you know, aroused or whatever. Like, and I didn't know that like every, like it's actually quite common that like much of the vagina is like, it's an an entirety is quite sensitive. It's not just a clitoris. So to me, that was like, oh, wow. So I thought that was just me, but it's like actually quite common. Yeah. And it's great that you're calling it a vulva. You know, that's half the battle, right? Is that we're not even using the right word. Like people call, you know, women's sex organs vagina, but that's just the whole and if you say vulva, you're including everything. You're including the vagina, the whole, you're including the labia, and you're cl- including the clitoris. And that's really important. And I, I know that this is like really academic, but I, I just want people to hear this because I think it's so important because we're not taught this at all, is that vagina, like the root of that word is sword holder or sheath holder. That's what that means. And that the root word of clitoris is, yes, okay? And that the root word of clitoris is key. It's a key. It needs to be discussed like a key. It has to be taught. It has to be taught like that. That's how we need to talk about it. I think once you reframe, we're not even getting the genitals right in the way we talk about it. You know what I mean? It's and it's like a wonder that people are out there having like fun sex because like I think people are just like feeling around in the dark, you know, too drunk, stumbling around, being like, okay, like at least we figured this out. But like for the most part, people don't know how to talk about sex. They don't have the right language. They're focused on all kinds of different things. They need to reframe it, you know? Um, But anyways, I love telling people that. And then there's a lot of, like, even in my coaching, you know, one-on-ones where they're like, oh, there's a big aha moment. Like, key? Yeah. It's like the key to everything. (laughs) It's the key to world peace. My God. (laughs) Well, on that brilliant note... (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we've just like touched the, that the tip, mind the pun, the, uh, yeah. the tip of, of so much of this conversation. Oh, um, but you and I have so much more to talk about because if you're not following Sabrina on TikTok or on Instagram, you got to give her a follow. She has her own podcast. If people want to find you, how can they find you, Sabrina? Take us there. Uh, so I have a website, www.aftersexed.com. I have courses. I have, uh, my most popular one is Mixmatch Sex Drives. I have a podcast. Um, you can find me anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all that. I am on Instagram, After Sex Ed. And right now on TikTok, TikTok, I'm called Learn with Sabrina because TikTok keeps spanking me. I keep getting in big trouble for talking about sex. You cannot talk about it there. Um, I'm getting spanked in not the fun way. It really sucks. So anyway, so Learn with Sabrina on TikTok, After Sex Ed, and everywhere. Instagram, website, podcast. And I'm actually working as a sex coach, as I said, with the um, sex with a psychotherapy clinic called New Moon Psychotherapy in Toronto. So if you're interested in sex coaching, uh, really anything like uh, male dysfunction, female dysfunction, or just like communication issues, exploring poly- polyamory was a big one that's happening a lot. Exploring kink. I'm your girl, Sabrina. Everybody, Woo! thanks for being here. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. 
Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mom Halo podcast, I'd love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Mom Halo. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Cookies and Cribs Sleep Consulting helps parents like yourself teach healthy, independent sleep habits from the age of newborn to five years old. Alana Ozeal will teach your little one to sleep through the night, give you and your partner your nights together, and that little break that we all need at the end of the day. Cookies and Cribs will create a personalized sleep plan for your little one to give you the confidence and support each day working together. Book your free consultation today on the website and receive 10% off your services.